0: this is the mooks and the gripes podcast hello everybody this is trevor with felicitations paul paul how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well i like the formality
0: (laughs) i you know i've been getting complaints from listeners i'm a little bit too informal on that part and right right you deserve deserve better so (laughs) (laughs) they're like don't you know who you're talking to (laughs) yeah
1: i don't think that's probably true yeah no (laughs) doing well uh yeah off to a good start it's been kind of a one of those busy weeks so it's nice to get a chance Mm. to just sit down and talk books for a while
0: yeah yeah my week's kind of been that way too i've been and and i've been i have been looking forward to sitting down to record this as kind of a motivator to make it through the other stuff i know know? (laughs) exactly
1: yeah but we've been talking lately about all the snowy weather and everything and i will say that you know i'm sure there will still be some downturns but as of now the grass is green there's flowers out birds mm-hmm. are singing. So it really does feel like spring this week. So that's been kind of nice.
0: <laughs> and I have a, a my, my, uh, 14 year old is outside mowing the lawn and trimming it up. So, Oh, wow. You know, I'm just, yeah, I, I they're, they're finally old enough to do what i don't want to do (laughs) exactly that
1: is one of the very best things about having kids like oh looks like we need to shovel the
0: walk get out there (laughs) no and, and, and i just tell them you guys know how much time i've spent doing this so that you guys can go out and play Mm-hmm. A lot. It's your turn to give back, and you know they—they're actually. I, it's not really that way. They're—they're. They're, right. are they're very helpful, and I like to. I like to get out there and do yard work as well. But you know, it is nice. It is nice to hear that mower going. Maybe everyone can hear it on my thing and and go. It's gonna be done. <laughs> I know
1: exactly. That is a very good feeling, and if your kids are anything like mine, I mean, I'm sure it'll erode over time. But kind of the. The novelty of doing some of that stuff, you know, kind of gives them a little bit of a charge too. And, you know, so we'll see how long that lasts. You know. uh,
0: yeah, that if it if that was ever there, it lasted um, the first you know row of <laughs> right. pushing the mower. So uh. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we'll get to our main topic here in a little bit, but I do have a little bit of preliminaries uh, first. We want to thank all of our Patreon supporters once again uh we have a bonus episode on Patreon that we posted last week that uh was a lot of fun to record and it's it's just us babbling on you know mm-hmm. as as we as we like to do but it was it was a fun one i i really did enjoy that so if if anybody's interested in getting it and you're not on Patreon um that is where we're keeping them just as an extra treat you know as an extra thanks we don't really go over main topics like we do in our main episodes because we're, we're not trying to make it a pay for, um, you know, what you regularly get. That's just kind of additional uh, talk about the books that we're reading, books that we're, in, in this episode in particular, excited to read soon. And, you know, that's where we're going to keep them. Uh, if, you, if you support us in other ways, uh, for example, there is an option on Substack for people to subscribe there uh, and pay on there. It's not something that I had set up until a few people had already done it. Then I was like, well, I'll set it up. If you do that, you don't get access to the Patreon episodes. Please let me know. And I will figure out a way to get them to you. Uh, I don't want you to miss out if you are supporting us and you, you, you don't want to join Patreon, but you, you know, send in a donation through PayPal or you subscribe, um, not if substacks always free, we don't have extra content on substack, but if you, you know, say, well, I'll throw in a little bit of extra money with my subscri- substack subscription, just let me know. I, I would love to, to get you the bonus episodes. That's part of, part of the support. Anybody who supports at any level um, we want on Patreon gets access to these bonus episodes, whether it's a dollar a month or, you know, the the one user who does a billion dollars a month. We we make sure that, you know, no one's no one's different. And um, That's right. <laughs> and we we just want to want to keep it that way. Uh, but I do want people to feel like there may be other ways to support and still get access to these bonus episodes. They are fun. They're mm-hmm. relatively short. I think we maybe went a little bit. Longer than we often do on the last one, but yeah, that's not gonna, really a surprise either.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, if you like hearing us talk about the weather, you are in for a treat.
0: No, that's right. <laughs> there was
1: movies and books and a little bit of life all mixed in. So yeah, they're very fun to record, and hopefully, people you know just enjoy that as a little, like you said, a little extra thank you.
0: And and one thing we brought up on that uh, episode. That I do want to bring up today as well is a new podcast by our friend Lori Feathers. Uh, She is joined by Tom Flynn, um, who's a bookseller in England, and it's called Lost in Redonda. Uh, Javier Marias was the king of Redonda Redonda, (laughs) um, up until his, his death last year. And this podcast is a discussion of backlist gems. And the Spanish writer, Javier Martíus. <laughs> so they're going to be talking about, um, you know, it, it, it's it's very much a let's talk about other books we want to talk about, but throw in um, a, a segment on the podcast about Javier Martíus. They have two episodes out. One just came out this past week. And so I just wanted to put a plug in for, for their show because... Uh, again, as we said on the Patreon bonus episode, we have a Javier Marias episode planned, and this is just going to make it so much easier. We won't have to even read the books. That's so. right. It's like Cliff <laughs> notes
1: in high school. You know, you can just listen to that and we'll be yeah. all set. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so we appreciate the work. Uh, listeners, you can listen there too, so you can give us feedback on our episode you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, no, all, all, all of that aside, um, Javier Amarillas is an author who deserves uh, a deep dive mm. into, you know, multiple parts of both his, you know, each of his books, but also what he's working on in all of his books through his career. And so I'm excited about what they're putting on here. It will be, uh, good to see that over time. And I do think it'll be nice, um, Prep for our episode, Mm -hmm. but just to build up the the fire and get me excited and give me maybe some other insights that we can bring up as we go into his work later on.
1: Absolutely, and it's just so fun to have another great bookish literary podcast to listen to. Too, I'm just excited. I I love that. It's we talked about on the Patreon how for a while it felt like it was like the glory days of these kind of podcasts, and then over time some of them kind of faded away. But I do feel like we're in a little bit of a renaissance right now. There's a lot of really great, you know, bookish podcast going on right now. So I'm excited to have another one.
0: Yeah, we'll have to, there are some I listen to that I don't think we've brought up on the show yet, and they deserve mm-hmm. it as well. So we mm-hmm. will, maybe we'll make that something that we just touch on at the beginning. But, yeah. you know, go check out Lost in rotonda They do have a Substack uh, newsletter as well. So yeah, this is a good time to to be just uh, driving around, um, you know, commuting, running errands, and That's still right. still engaged in bookish discussions. So. <laughs> and if you don't
1: have any teenagers that you can uh, get to mow the lawn, maybe you can listen, you know,
0: while you're doing that. <laughs> It'll make it, you're like, no, it's my turn to mow the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to do the dishes. No, that actually is sometimes the way that I am, when I'm listening to a good book or a good podcast. Like, well, let's see, maybe maybe I'll go vacuum, you know? Oh, maybe, know. I'll, maybe I'll go and uh, straighten up the, you know?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm the same way. It's one way that like folding laundry, vacuuming, doing dishes, all that stuff, it makes it not nearly such a pain.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, Paul, what have you been reading lately?
1: Yeah, I'm afraid I might sound like a bit of a broken record for a while on this one because I am continuing to make my way through solenoid, um, which I don't mean that to sound negative at all. It's just a, a big book. And so I'll probably be, you know, continuing to talk about it off and on for a while here. But um, yeah, so far, uh, you know, I'm probably coming up on maybe a quarter of the way through and continue to just really, really enjoy it. The The language is just absolutely amazing. It's it's such a interesting novel where it skips all over the place and there'll be sections where he's detailing the neighborhood that he grew up in. There'll be memories from his childhood. There's some very I hate to use the word Kafka esque because I know it's overused, but there's some passages that are very much that way where there's these bizarre things that are happening that are kind of unexplained. And so it's just, you know, one of those, that's absolutely um, compelling. And I was going to just read, we've talked about how both of us are pretty positive um, optimistic people, but we do tend to be drawn towards sometimes dark books or dark passages. And this one definitely fits the bill, but both, The philosophical kind of nature of it, but also just the beauty of the writing. I thought this was a really good sample. So it says, how is the infinite misery of our lives possible? Why do we feel pain? Why do we suffer illness? Why have we been given the pains of jealousy and unrequited love? Why are we wounded by the people around us? Who approved cancer? Who released schizophrenia into the world? Why do amputations exist? Who allowed torture machines to come into our minds? Why do people extract teeth to extract confessions? Why are bones crushed in traffic accidents? Why do airplanes crash? Why do hundreds of people fall for long minutes, knowing with absolute certainty that they will burn, they will explode, they will be torn apart and crushed? Why do people die of hunger? Why are they buried under collapsing walls? Who can tolerate blindness? How can you reconcile yourself to suicide? How can you live alongside radical amputees and the incurably ill? And it goes on and on like that. And it says, There are millions of diseases of the human body, parasites that devour it from inside and outside. It lists a bunch of those. And it says, Our minds will suffer. So will our f- flesh, our skin, our joints. And it says, Why do I know I exist if I also know I will not? Why was I given access to logical space and the mathematical structure of the world just to lose them when my body is destroyed? And like I said, I know it's really dark and, and it's pretty brutal. But it's all part of this bigger like examination of just like it goes on and on. And and that's just one section. Each section will have it's not like the whole book is just like that. But I just really am fascinated by the way that he will spend like he will dig in really far into some of these different topics, you know, for several pages and then he'll move on. So I'm just really fascinated by this book and kind of looking forward to seeing where he goes next because I really don't have any idea. But, you know, there is there's stuff like that, which I guess you, you would call kind of philosophy or just examining, you know, the human condition. And then, like I said, there are, you know, his relationships with different teachers in the teacher's lounge where he teaches. And, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting novel that I do not yet have an idea of how to kind of put a, a finger on exactly where it's going to go, but I don't know. It's just, it's, it's wonderful so far. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and then I'll just also really quickly mention, it's been a while since I've talked about old uncle Stevie, Stephen King. Um, I'm continuing my fairly regular tradition of listening to one of his books on audio. And I was looking through trying to decide which one to do, because I do tend to like his his older stuff, but I've listened to most of it or, or read most of it or listened to it. But I realized I don't think I've ever actually read Salem's Lot. I've seen the movie, of course. but um. So anyway, I've been listening to the audio of that. And it's just, we can talk about this a little later in our main theme of our episode, but it's really interesting how with Stephen King in particular, and there are other authors like this, if I started reading him today, I I have no idea if I would feel anywhere near what I do for him, but just based on my memories and, and my, you know, growing up, reading him anytime I go back, it's just, I love all the, the messiness, the bagginess, the unnecessary characters. Like it's kind of like Dickens where, you know, I'm sure if I really thought about it, a lot of it could probably be cut and it would still be a very solid book, but. I actually love it for some of that other stuff that some people might consider to be false. So those are the two I'm reading these days.
0: Nice. I did yeah. read Salem's lot, you know, back in the nineties mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was working through things. And I remember liking that one. I don't remember a whole lot about particulars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't remember the plot necessarily. Um, but I, I did, I did enjoy, enjoy it. So that's,
1: and I, I always love his, his, author introductions are his forwards too because he like starts talking about when he was a kid and he got introduced to the book Dracula and it was like the first time he had been you know exposed to epistolary novels and you know just he goes off on these little things that are just such a fascinating insight into his mind as a reader and a writer I really like <clears throat> that kind of thing and so like I said it's it's been nice to just kind of get back to to that so yeah I'll I'll follow up and let you know how it holds up.
0: Sound Even he good. in the
1: intro says it's, it's dated in places. So I don't know if that's a bad time. <laughs> <sound. laughs>
0: All right. Do you want me to give you a little rundown of what I've been reading, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Let's hear <laughs> it. All right. So um, this, this will come up a, a little bit later on in our podcast as well. Uh, But David Gran has a new book out called The Wager. And I was able to get a copy of it from Doubleday. And I, I don't know. Have you heard about this one yet? Do you know anything about David Grant or the wager? Is that something that, you know, you have any, any yeah, knowledge of?
1: I, I have seen it coming up on like books that are coming out soon. And so I've done a little bit of reading of just the introduction. Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds really good.
0: <laughs> I just always enjoy his, his books. The, this is called the wager sub subtitle, a tale of shipwreck, mutiny, and murder. Ooh. And you know, as we did that comfort reads episode, I just a good murder, you know, that's right, <laughs> a good shipwreck. Let's get some mutiny involved here. Um, I've always really enjoyed David Grant's writing. I I remember sitting down and and getting a copy of the New Yorker, and here is this author, or you know, uh, article by a David Grant. I hadn't hadn't read him yet, didn't know who he was, and just falling, you know, into this article all the way. It was about uh, a Sherlock Holmes expert who was found dead and nobody knew why. And it's, he's so good at these compelling, mysterious stories. He had another one on a man who was um, accused of arson and, and killing um, his family. It's been a while since I've read it. So I can't remember everything, but it was a death row kind of case. And it was about the evidence that was used to prove that he had committed the arson. And then the evidence that came up later that showed that that's not reliable. And then it it keeps on going back and forth. And you're just, mm. you know, oh, this is very clear and convincing evidence. And I, oh, whoa. I didn't know that. Completely shook my uh, faith in, um, you know, the the jury system. <laughs> you know, mm. because uh, Just because I'm like, here I am kind of a juror getting the evidence and going back and forth constantly. And it really just depends on kind of how, what is it allowed to be presented to me and what isn't at any rate. um, When his, the book, The Lost City of Z came out, I went and got a copy and just gobbled it up. And I don't do that with nonfiction that often. I like nonfiction, but it's not my go-to and rarely is it something that I read just as, as fast and as excitedly as I do, you know, my favorite novel, but there it was. And I, and I just really enjoy his books. He, he wrote another one on uh, that kind of compared Shackleton's uh, journey across Antarctica with a contemporary attempt to uh, do the same thing um, mm. called the White Darkness, which I thought was really good. And then, of course, he kind of I think maybe got even more famous with the, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Well, the here fun- he is with this one, and I'm I'm loving it.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I don't know why I did not make the connection. I had seen the wager, like like I said, I'd read a little bit about it, but I for some reason I did not make the connection. I read and loved Velocity of Z and Killers of the Flower Moon, and I don't know why I didn't make the connection. It was the same author, but yeah. Everything you just said is absolutely true. (laughs) It's that type of nonfiction, I guess. I don't know if it's narrative nonfiction, but like you said, it reads like an adventure story. And when it's done well, like Nathaniel Philbrook is another one I would say does that. Like, you know, his book In the Heart of the Sea kind of is maybe reminiscent a little bit of what I'm saying here with the wager. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. And actually, I was actually going to mention The Lost City of Z again later in our episode without
0: (laughs) apparently realizing it was David Grant. So... I think you're right about narrative nonfiction. The wall street journal calls this one, a tour de force of narrative nonfiction. Mm, so there you go. I'm in good <laughs> so, company. So it's about a shipwreck. Um, you know, the, the, in 1742, uh, some men wash up on the coast of Brazil and there are 30 of them. They're barely alive. And they are survivors of a shipwreck of the wager a British uh, vessel that had left England a few years earlier. And, it had shipwrecked on the other side by Chile. Well, they kind of talk about what had happened and all this, but then six months later, over in Chile, um, three men wash up and they have a different tale as to what happened on mm. the wager. And so I again just very exciting. He's so good at spinning the narrative. You know, he's not just I could go and read about this on Wikipedia right. and have fun and still enjoy, you know, the details, but he knows how to just Keep you keep you thinking and guessing, and you know he he is um, a master of the suspense, and uh, I, I love his work. So that's that's what I'm uh, digging into right now, and nice. I'm not too far into it, but again, hoping that uh, today uh, I will get back to it. Yeah,
1: did you ever read the book *Endurance* by Alfred Lansing? It's about the Shackleton
0: voyage. I I have not read that one, but I've heard quite a bit about it. It, Yeah,
1: it's another one that just, I don't know if it falls in the exact same category, but just telling something that you could read on Wikipedia, but it is so compelling and fascinating, and it brings up all these things that I never knew. I actually bought it for, I mentioned our our oldest son turned 18, and I always try to get them a few books each birthday, and I actually bought that for him for his last (laughs) birthday, because I remember reading it probably 15 years ago and just being spellbound. So on the whole topic of adventure and shipwrecks and all that stuff. That's another really good book.
0: (laughs) One of the reasons that I heard about Endurance recently is my mother-in-law is in a book group and they had uh, picked Endurance to Mm. to read. And uh, for some reason, she thought that the book they had chosen was Endeavor, which is Mm. another book about ships but much apparently, I don't. I don't know. This is kind of, you know. But looking into it, you know, it, it's longer, much more academic, drier, and she's just like, I hate. That. This is not what I want to read for a book group. That's I funny. don't have it, you know. So she was a little bit. Uh, Wait a minute. It's not this book, <laughs> right? At least,
1: hopefully, she figured it out before the meeting. Otherwise, she would have been like, "What are they talking about? They're all excited and like talking about this adventure story, and I'm reading through footnotes."
0: Uh, You know, I may even be misremembering it and she was, and the woman did pick Endeavor um, and everyone else was reading Endurance and enjoying it. (laughs) And when it was that one, I think the woman might've been a little bit disappointed anyway, regardless, right. Right. Different books, uh, different types of, of nonfiction. Mm. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people who, who criticize books like this, you know, as kind of being more about the, the narrative thrill than about the a, a good academic presentation of the facts, but I like this kind of popular nonfiction. You know, I read the duel um, mm-hmm. uh, last year, the last duel um, a year or two ago, and it's just I don't know. It gets me into that, and no, it doesn't make me an expert, and I'm sure there are things left out but it intrigued me and, and I really did enjoy it. So I haven't seen the the Ridley Scott movie, Mm -hmm. but really liked the, the, the book. And I, I just, I like that kind of stuff. So.
1: I do too. And I'll say two quick things. One, every time that I've read a book like this, it may seem like it's a little bit light or something like that, but man, like Nathaniel Philbrook, for example, at the end of that book, there are just pages and pages of Mm -hmm. notes and references. So it's easy to kind of discount these just because they're good writers and they make it compelling, but at least when it's done really well, I don't think anybody should discount the amount of research and time that they put into that. And it's always amazing to me at the end of those books where you just see like how much work and study must have gone into creating such an exciting story. Right. Right. And then the other thing I'll say is just speaking of audiobooks, I have had a lot of luck with these types of narrative nonfiction books with audiobooks. Hmm. Over the, over the years. So if anybody has not necessarily tried one like this and they're interested, that would be a great way to kind of dip your toe in because I do think that it's worked really well for me quite a few times.
0: All right. Well, let's get on to our main topic. All right, Paul, we are going to be talking today about our affinities, things in books that just draw our attention um that make them better than they might otherwise be (laughs) Mm. i've been kind of i mentioned this idea to you months ago without knowing how to frame it or how really to talk about it but it's just one of those situations where you know someone recommends a book to you and they're like i loved this book you you just have to read this book and you read it and you're like nothing wrong with this book. Like I don't hate it. I don't. I didn't think there was anything in it that was offensive, and that, you know, it wasn't poorly written. It just I didn't care about it.
1: Yeah.
0: What happens there? But furthermore, um, I have a, a brother-in-law, and and we like to read. You know, if we we're reading science fiction and fantasy books together, we'll often like a certain series, or you know, Brandon Sanderson books, or something like that but usually we like different aspects of them or even different books within them. And I realized I really like books that have some mysterious lore to build, you know, that Mm -hmm. the author does a good job of suggesting mysteries. I love Indiana Jones kind of stuff. I love archeology. span And so, you know, the books like, um, uh, Fable Haven, I don't know if your kids ever read those. Yeah, they did. Uh, I loved those, even though the story's very kind of normal. I loved him because it had like, oh, now we need to go find these artifacts. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that kind of stuff. I don't quite know why, but I I do. And so um, I enjoy that. He finds that stuff boring unless it really keeps the plot moving. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like a plot might get in the way. He likes the action. He likes the adventure. And that just doesn't connect with me. And I realized we all bring certain things, you know, are are part of our lives, part of our own things into what we read. And sometimes we judge a book as good or bad just based on how it connected with those parts of us. So we might judge other people for what they consider to be a good book. And you're like, no, that was a boring book. I, I can't believe you like boring books. And we've kind of been batting this idea around. How do we talk about some of these things that, that we just feel give books a bit of, a, of an edge when it comes to us. Mm-hmm. And um, as we were going through it, you mentioned a word this week that just clicked and that was affinities, you know, and that's because uh, New York review books just released Brian Dillon's book affinities. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because he's got all these essays in here about affinities and what an affinity is, but then he goes through various pieces of art that he has an affinity toward and discusses them in some some detail, you know, two or three pages per thing, maybe. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of touch on this idea of affinities. And we were like, wait, that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I, I do want to get your thoughts, but let me really quickly just introduce this then further with his um, introduction on Affinity. This is Essay on Affinity 1. And Brian Dillon, I love his writing. He just gets right down to it.
1: Yeah, I did.
0: (laughs) I found myself frequently using the word affinity and wondered what I meant by it. An attraction, for sure, to certain works of art or literature, to fragments or details, moods or atmospheres inside of them, to a sentence, for instance, or an essay, but just as easily to an impression diffusing in the mind that could not be traced back to source a fascination with this or that artist, writer, musician, filmmaker, designer, with a body or a body of work. Fascination, already finding words with which affinity has affinities, as something like but unlike critical interest, which has its own excitements but remains too often at the level of knowledge, analysis, conclusions, at worst the total boredom of having opinions but also the way things, images, or ideas sidled up to each other seemed to seduce one another in ways I could not or did not want to explain. So that when I wrote Affinity in a piece of critical prose, perhaps I was trying to point elsewhere to a realm of the unthought, unthinkable, something unkillable by attitudes or arguments, not a question of beauty or quality or taste, other eternal aesthetic values, something fleeting, in fact, affinities don't all or always last. In the end, and for reasons above as well as others to come, something a little bit stupid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that ties into like, I I just love where he's like circling around it. And it's so hard to pinpoint. That's what I was, even I have had like you said, multiple discussions about this topic because it's so fascinating, but it's also so hard to define or pinpoint. And that's kind of what I like about it. I was Mm -hmm. looking at um, the LA Review of Books, wrote a review of his book, Affinities. And it says, the question, why do we like what we like is much more difficult to answer. It requires introspection. And by the end of a period of self-questioning, all we can really offer is a theory whose answer will never be clear. Affinity is something felt, not declared. And I really liked that. It's like this idea of you can spend a lot of time talking about this, but you probably won't come up with like an exact definition.
0: Right. And that's probably why we, I think both of us have been maybe not having a hard time, but it's it's easier to think of uh, three best comfort reads mm-hmm. and to discuss comfort reads than it is to think, why do I like some of the things that I like? But I'm excited to explore this topic with you. We do have, each of us, some examples of things that um, just call to us, appeal to us, are attractive to us, and maybe we'll get into some of the whys, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if I will, because some of them don't match who I am when I'm not reading or looking for fun or, you know, in in a book or a movie or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And and it dawned on me, too, that in some ways, this could be a table of contents for our episodes. I think we often try to pick episode topics that match some of our affinities, things we want Absolutely. to talk about. <laughs> so no, let's get true. some more ideas out there. <laughs> That's right. Listeners, let us know some of your affinities as, as you're listening to this. Keep Keep yourselves in mind and let us know where you come to.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to just bring up a thought, you know, as we or trying to figure out exactly how to define it and what it means and where it comes from. It's not usually logical, I wouldn't say. Mm -hmm. And it often feels to me like it's rooted in like senses or feelings or certain moments. And so, you know, it has a little bit of that magical feeling to it sometimes, you know, and I was just curious, do you feel like for you, any of it is rooted in like childhood or different things? Like I'm wondering if we are formed to have these affinities But then again, like I've also noticed some of mine will pop up or change over time too. So it's just kind of a fascinating thing to think about. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's a nature versus nurture kind of a thing, but like if you were trying to be logical about it, like how much of it could be rooted back? You know, I remember as a kid in the library, like I was really fascinated with the UFOs and the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot, like that section of the library for a while. Or then I moved over to Roll doll and some of that stuff, and you just wonder, like I was trying to think if any of those might impact you know the fact that now some of the things that I like, if there's any through lines, you know what I mean,
0: yeah, I don't know, maybe the closest I could come to would be my fascination with lore or or artifacts, you know, kind of a you know i I love fantasy books that part of the quest is also about finding the um, the, the secrets, these places that are, that are, um, hidden from us. You know, I, I like that kind of stuff that, you know, finding a key, I don't necessarily like finding just, you know, a, a, the sword that's going to take it all. I like it when it's rooted in their own mythology and religions mm-hmm. or cultures and, and all of that. And that probably comes from stuff like Indiana Jones and just growing up in the eighties and enjoying that and Goonies, I know most of this stuff isn't real in, in our own world. And so I like to imagine it is out there. I I love the idea of like Mars, for example, having some archeological finds that we haven't found yet. So it's not just about our own planet's history. You know, I like, I like that kind of stuff. I like the idea of, of, of finding that stuff out there. Um, you know, there's, there's a book, I can't think of what it's called. It's a science fiction book. And it begins with them kind of on a dig in another, on another planet and finding things that are frightening to them about existence because of what it says, even though there's nothing else around. And I'm like, that's just kind of cool. I love that Mm -hmm. mystery. And so maybe that comes from my fascination with Indiana Jones as a kid, but also maybe that's maybe my, my kind of natural affinity to something like that is why I liked Indiana Jones so much. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's a
1: chicken and the egg situation. No, I had the same thought. And it's funny because I'm, you know, a, I would consider myself to be quite a skeptic. You know, I, I'm pretty much, you know, based in reality for the most part in, in my day-to-day life. And yet that fascination as a kid with UFOs and the Loch Ness Monster, it's just funny. I always wonder like- Oh
0: yeah, I love that stuff.
1: I know. And- <laughs> And it's so funny because, like I said, now a lot of like I, I like stuff that's like rooted in, you know, Robert McFarlane, like scientific <laughs> study or, or you know, but I do think that there's something about my love of gray areas and that I don't necessarily need, you know, a, everything to be tied up with a bow <laughs> at the end. Like I like open endings uh-huh. or, or things left unsaid in fiction or elsewhere. And so even though it's not a direct correlation, I do kind of, I was just trying to think like, I wonder if that has a connection point to the idea of that.
0: So you, you talking about this as kids, you know, and you, the UFOs and the Loch Ness monster and whatnot, did you ever watch Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. as a kid? Yeah. What What were your favorite episodes? I mean, I watched uh, as many of them as I think I could sit down and watch at that time. Right. And I did enjoy the ones about, you know, uh, you know, this, this bank, you know, embezzler has not been found. And it, you know that's interesting, but the ones that I thought were the most fun, even though I it wasn't because it was based on something I really believed in, even then. What? But the wonder was there were mm-hmm. things like when they talk about these other more unsolved mysteries of Bigfoot or UFOs. And those were just fun episodes. I really had a fun time with them. There's, there's a magic to Affinities. You used that word and I had it written down too. It's like the magic element Mm -hmm. in, in the thing that you, you, uh, find it, it, it pulls you in, um, maybe without you really quite knowing why, or even, you know, Maybe you don't even want to go there, you know? (laughs) Right.
1: No, I remember spending hours and hours, you know, looking at all those grainy photos of the Loch Ness Monster that was probably like a log or, you know, a seal's head or something. But I just remember, like, for whatever reason, just being kind of obsessed with all that. And it's so funny because, like I said, I don't know at the time, if it was just, I wanted to believe in it or if I really did, but it's just very interesting. Cause like now it's that I,
0: sense I, of possibility and wonder. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, I do think that we talked about this on our, our episode about our fantasy past, you know, and, and maybe sometimes feeling like we had lost a bit of that just mm-hmm. in, in our reading. Um, but I've, I, I love that kind of stuff. So anyway, sorry. I, I think I, no, cut no.
1: You. No, and I just like you think of of something like Borges or Millhauser or some of those where we've we've talked about some of his stories about (laughs) the miniaturist who just keeps getting smaller and smaller. Like, (laughs) I, I just, you know, I do think that that falls in, you know, I don't know exactly where, but it's that suspending your disbelief for a little while and just being willing to kind of, you know, go back to that time where you maybe did have a little more belief in something like that
0: but you know what i think as you talk about this again bringing other thoughts to mind i don't care about this stuff in many books i think it's 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 authors this is going to lead me into maybe my first topic yeah even though i were kind of on my first topic i had that was just my intro <laughs> <laughs> um, i love authors who can present this stuff as if it's scientific reality. Mm-hmm. I love that realism. Not, I don't know, that Milhauser is certainly not realism. Um, it's very romantic writing, but he's so good at his, his prose. It's not overly poetic. It's, it's someone who's dealing with this stuff almost as if it's logic. Um, Cesar Ira is the same way. He's got the most bizarre things, but he presents it kind of as if it's normal. Mm-hmm. And I love that part of it. So I put as my first topic here, I do enjoy, and you you may have something similar, it sounds like, I love books about scientific exploration, mm-hmm. um, particularly books and stories that deal with kind of the golden age of, of exploration, you know, the early days of National Geographic, this time when the world um, seemed open to finding a lost civilization. Or, you know, not to say that that's all shut off, but the idea of finding, you know, El Dorado or the idea of, of all of these things just feel bigger. So anyway, those stories that take place, you know, I'm thinking of Andrea Barrett's short stories that kind of have explorers or people studying genetics in the early age. You know, this time of it kind of goes back to that sense of wonder. It's like magic. They're they're discovering magic. They're discovering the way things work that we never could have, you know, comprehended otherwise, you know, genetics or evolution or you know, the, um physics, magnetism, all of these things that are forces in the world and I I love when when they explore these characters going through that. So I think of um Andrea Barrett's fiction. I, I think of Benjamin uh Labatut's mm. uh When We Cease to Understand the World It's just a fascinating thing. Um and then of course, you know, you you kind of alluded to it uh that David Grand would come up again. You know, that's why for me, something like The Lost City of Z is actually better for me than The Killers of the Flower Moon, as important mm. a story as the Killers of the Flower Moon is. As you know, vital as that is, as, uh, you know as as well done as it is, uh, I can see people being like that's his greatest book, and I maybe even agree with them. But my favorite, mm. the one that has that magic, is the Lost City of Z. Yeah. So I, I just love that.
1: Absolutely, two things. During our Patreon episode, I mentioned Nathan Ballingrud, who has a new book called The Strange mm-hmm. that's out. You've got to check that out. I think even more based <laughs> on what you just told me, I mentioned it's, it's kind of like an alternate reality where there's basically settlers who are on Mars, but it's set in 1931. So it's this really interesting tension between, you know, things that we have not even been able to do yet, but it happened back in the 30s. So there's like, I mentioned there's like, you know, the Negro Leagues in baseball are mentioned in the same sentence as like flying saucers or, you know, they're exploring all these (laughs) chemicals on Mars and everything. So I think you'd really like that. And then I also wanted to ask, my wife is a huge fan of Sam Keen. Have you ever heard of him? He has written several different books. I'll mention this one. It's called The Disappearing Spoon. And it says the periodic table is a crowning scientific achievement, but it's also a treasure trove of adventure, betrayal, and obsession. These fascinating tales follow every element on the table as they play out their parts in human history and in the lives of the frequently mad scientist who discovered them. The disappearing spoon masterfully fuses science with the classic lore of invention, investigation, and discovery from the big bang through the end of time. So I yeah. think you would really like him.
0: I mean, you're right. Cause here's, here's the thing. We recommend things all the time. And it's like, Oh, that sounds good. But that one, it, it, it ignites a different part of my brain. Even just you mm-hmm. reading that where I'm like, Ooh, that sounds magical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He has another one called
1: Caesar's Last Breath, and it's um, it says, it's invisible, it's ever-present. Without it, you would die in minutes. And it has an epic story to tell. In Caesar's Last Breath, Sam Keane takes us on a journey through the periodic table around the globe and across time to tell the story of the air we breathe, which, it turns out, is also the story of Earth and our existence on it. And mm-hmm. so it's all about just air circulating, and I think it is based on the idea of maybe, like, at some point, you know, you've heard that thing where you breathe the air that Caesar breathed or Mm -hmm. something like that. But yeah, just based on that kind of what you've been telling me, I think you'd really like it.
0: Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. And again, it's, it's someone who's doing this while they know how to tell a good story too. They know how to put a spin on it. That just excites me. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's
1: great. Well, do you want me to jump into one category for me? I mean, this is not going to surprise anybody. I've talked about it a lot, but just the, it's kind of a general idea of nature and solitude. And mm-hmm. so the ones that come to mind for me off the top of my head are are things like um, there's a book called, uh, or by Bernd Heinrich, called A Year in the Main Woods, and I don't remember if I've talked about it before, but it says, escapist fantasies usually involve the open road, but Heinrich's dream was to focus on the riches of one small place, a few green acres along Alderbrook, just east of the Presidential Mountains. The year begins as he settles into a cabin with no running water and no electricity, built of hand-cut logs he dragged out of the woods with a team of oxen. There... Alone except for his pet raven Jack, he rediscovers the meaning of peace and quiet and harmony with nature, of days spent not filling out forms, but tracking deer or listening to the sound of a moth's wings. And it's that type of thing that like, it's not necessarily like being a hermit, but I think it's like w- with our lives the way they are and the busyness of email and kids and all this stuff. It's just that there's something so appealing about the idea of even if it's for a day, just being immersed in nature and, and kind of just stepping out of it. And, you know, so there's another one, I think, I, I can't remember if I've mentioned it, but called The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit. And that's another example of this guy. It happened fairly recently. And he was up in Maine and he basically was able to just live as a hermit in a fairly populated area. And eventually he got into some legal troubles and there were some complications to it. But it's this idea of just um, stepping away from life and in, in, in the cases of many of these people, it's it's in an extreme form, which is something else that ties into a couple of my other affinities. I don't know what this is saying about me. There might be some <laughs> psychologists out there who are taking notes quickly. But um, yeah, just as far as affinity, this made me think back to like when we were talking about childhood and whether that has an impact on your affinity affinities. Because we talked about like Tolkien and his nature writing in particular. And I remember as a child just being fascinated by these stories of mountains and tunnels and, you know, the elves living in the trees and all that. And I'm just curious, like if, if there's anything that might've sprung up back then that has kind of led me to this, but yeah, that's an area for me, um, that I just find myself anytime that there's anything mentioned about somebody, you know, like you, you were talking about, uh, Patrick Lee Firmer and just going off to a Buddhist monastery. It doesn't have to be nature, but it's this idea of like stepping away from the normal life and, and solitude. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's just the nature of being a parent.
0: (laughs) So I, I like that kind of stuff too. And my second one on my list is you say solitude and I'm going to spin that just slightly to get Mm -hmm. to the idea that intrigues me about that. And it's isolation. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I love stories about isolation and that loneliness. Um, And particularly when they kind of do deal with nature, but it doesn't have to, or, or night time. And yeah, maybe any psychologist listening to us will do us a favor and be like an, uh, like a health insurance actuary <laughs> right. who, who knows the date we're going to die, but doesn't tell us, exactly. you know, just let us, let us keep on going. Um, and a couple of books that came to mind as I was thinking about this isolation element uh, would be a couple from NYRB Classics that I just love that we've I don't think ever talked about on the podcast yet. So one is Emmanuel Bov's Andre uh, Duchemin and His Shadows. It's a book of short stories, and it's it, it actually says in the title, let's see, a cast of stubborn isolatos. Who called to mind Bar- Mar- Mar- Melville's Bartleby, Valser's Little Men, and Reese's Lost Women, and then I put on my my write up that calls to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's something about this idea of this uh, the, these kind of isolates who who are out there. and And my favorite was the first one. It's called Night Crimes, and it sees Henri Duchemin, He's 40 years old on a Christmas Eve. Uh, Where he's he's wanting to leave a restaurant, but he can't quite do it. He's there. He says, tired of sitting still, he was preparing to leave when he recalled the dark hallway of his house, the damp courtyard, the narrow stairway, and his unheated attic room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know why, but I like that kind of stuff. And another one, this one's probably one of my favorite books I've read in a, in a long time. And that's Henri Bosco's Maliqua. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came out back at the beginning of 2020. And when I f- read the first paragraph, it's one of those things that you just go "Oh, I'm starting what will be one of my favorite books. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind reading the, the, the first paragraph that oh, introduces nice. isolation and, and our characters, and this great voice. Because again, I, there is something about this kind of straightforward, crisp writing. Brian Dillon's Affinities, you know, I, I like that kind of stuff. Benjamin Labatutz, uh When We Cease to uh, uh, Understand the World. These are books that just have very direct prose. And I, I feel the same with uh, Malikwa, uh, translated by Joyce Zanona. Um, it says, I was not expecting anything from my great-uncle Malikwa, no one, in fact, had ever expected anything from him. We had not seen him in a, in half a century. Hold up in the Camargu on his barren land, he was for us the embodiment of wildness, neither good nor bad, but solitary. In other words, unnerving, perhaps terrible, and yet cut off from him by this half century of unbroken absence. We had never suffered any harm from those dreadful qualities with which our imaginations clothed him. He ignored us with a kind of scorn. Very grandly, he was called Cornelius de Malico, de and he was poor, or so everyone said. His way of life lost among the lagoons with only a few herders as rough and wild as he. Let us think it, and we did. If he were wealthy, would he have chosen such a rude, mean existence in that land of sorrow? No one thought it possible. We are people of fertile lands, People who assign spiritual value to a measure of material ease. If our great uncle Malikwa had withdrawn into the desert, his withdrawal, as far as we could tell, had been inspired by pride. He was hiding his poverty. To put it plainly, we did not love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's so good. I love the imagery in that. I love the uh, um the the sense of this introduction to this character of Malikwa and, and to our narrator, who's going to kind of inherit this land and go live mm-hmm. on it and be very lonely and, uh, start kind of seeing things and all, all of the, all this stuff. It, I love these stories of isolation and loneliness, um, yeah. particularly kind of on the edge of society, uh, in, in nature. I, I, and that has, I have, I'm one of those, I don't, I won't say I put like spiritual, um, you know, importance on material ease, but I certainly enjoy it. (laughs) Right. You know, I I wouldn't want to go and live this life or live in this area, but there's, I I do love reading the story about it.
1: Yeah. No, what you just said was exactly something I was going to bring up. And it ties into, I think in some ways, all or most of my affinities is that idea of living on the edge of society. I think Mm -hmm. there's something so fascinating because our culture is so in many ways conformist And I mean, I, like you said, it's not like I'm living out on the edges of society. Like I fall Mm -hmm. into some pretty, you know, steady, normal paths, but I do think that there's something really interesting. And it's one of the powerful things about art and fiction is acknowledging and exploring those lives that where people choose to do something completely different. And there could be a variety of reasons, or maybe it's not even their choice, but I do really, really agree with you there that it's something about that. That's just acknowledging their worth and but also just scratching beneath the surface and kind of exploring that whole lifestyle whatever it may be so yeah i mean i agree that may or may not tie into my next one which is the idea of obsession just in general and that could you know that could tie into like Mm -hmm. the the explorers and other things so i mean it's not there's lots of obvious through lines here but what i'm thinking i mean it can be in fiction or nonfiction, and there's so many different ways that it can take shape you know i was just thinking about like a close reading where somebody just really focuses in on a certain book, or I was thinking of um, the, one of my favorite books from a few years ago, which was PJ Clark's uh, the site of death. And just that was that one where he spent hours and hours and hours just focused yeah. on these two paintings, looking at one little corner for like an entire day watching as the sunlight changes on it. So it's, it's this fascinating, close reading mixed with like, I mean, there's definitely an element of obsession there too. Um, and it's the idea of, I think for me, it's, you know, it could be madness in some cases, but it's the idea of like art at all costs, you know, the starving artist or the person who's locked up in the little top of, tower of their house and just like writing or creating paintings that nobody will ever see, or at least that's not the reason they're doing it. There's something about that obsession, you know, and it it, it crops up in, you know, Moby Dick or anything like that. Um, and one thing that, you know, it doesn't have to be an unhealthy obsession, but I do think that there's something so interesting, like one book that, um, that uh, Brian uh, in Affinities, uh, Brian Dylan brought up in Affinities mm-hmm. that he, he kind of explored whether or not this one applied. And I think it does. So it's Maggie Nelson's book, Bluettes. Mm-hmm. And I'll just read the very beginning of that. She says, suppose I were to begin by saying that I'd fallen in love with the color. Suppose I were to speak this as though it were a confession Suppose I shredded my napkin as we spoke. It begins slowly, an appreciation, an affinity. Then one day, it became more serious. Then, looking into an empty teacup, its bottom stained with thin brown excrement coiled into the shape of a seahorse, it became somehow personal. And so I fell in love with the color, in this case, the color blue, as if falling under a spell, a spell I fought to stay under and get out from under in turns. And I was just, oh, I love that opening. And I love that, you know, it it reminded me a little bit of like Kate Zambrino, like I said, or or Jeff Dyer, some of these where they they are willing to follow an affinity and really just immerse themselves and dig in and explore it. And it drifts, but it always returns to this. I mean, I think an obsession is an okay word to use. It doesn't have to have a negative connotation. Um, So anyway that's, that's an area that it can take many forms, but I just love the idea of somebody that just becomes obsessed like that.
0: Yeah. The, it And again, uh, is this why we have an affinity that we were like, Hey, let's do this podcast together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we, we just kind of, you know, maybe we don't always like the exact same things or for the same reasons, but yeah, all, all of that I think ties into the ones I'm bringing up as well. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we didn't discuss this at all, listeners. We didn't sit and say, "Hey, what are some of your ideas?" Um, here's where I'm going, you know, or here are the books. We just said let's let's go this route. And for all I knew, Paul was going to bring up you know uh, R- Robert Frost poetry, you know, or something like that. You know, not that that would right. be bad, but just like right. it, in terms of your nature or who knows what. But uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 fun.
1: Well, and as we continue to just think about why and how these come apart come about, I also wonder, like I said, with like the idea of, of isolation or something like that, I mean, we both like live in a household that's full of life and full of mm-hmm. noise. And I always wonder sometimes, you know, one of the beautiful things about literature and, and art is that you get to explore these areas of yourself that maybe you don't live out in real life. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to something like obsession, I think you and I, for the most part, you know, we go to our day jobs and we, we live our steady kind of, you know, fairly normal by society standards lives. So I think that there's (laughs) something there where you get to like, at least scratch that itch of like, what would it be like to be able to just really, you know, go do something Uh that's just completely off the rails.
0: And not because you want to, like I was, I, my son had a thing, you know, in a town um, 20 minutes away the other night and I was taking him to it. And I just thought, we should listen to something fun here. What's a short thing? And there, there's an old episode of Snap Judgment, a podcast that was on NPR. I, I think it might have been discontinued there. I'm not 100% sure. But I really liked Snap Judgment. And they explore some strange topics in, in really fun story ways. And this particular episode talks about a, a part of South Africa where there's really nothing. You know, you, you wouldn't think there's anything there. There's brush. But on the other side of a rock, there's a puddle. But it's clear, so you know that it's not just a shallow puddle. It's actually a the entrance to a massive underground cave, uh, underground sea cave, that goes, I think, 900 feet deep. Wow. And they go into this fascinating story of, uh, and it's being told by one of the, the men who has been down to the bottom of it, and he says something along the lines of there've been more people on the surface of the moon than have been at that kind of depth mm-hmm. on the earth and they they say yeah that's actually true and it's a story about them him and a buddy going down there and his friend comes up and says i just saw the body of uh you know one of uh, an uh, a 19-year-old boy who we knew had gone down here and, and had died because he never came up mm-hmm. I think we should bring him up. And so they spent a year preparing for it. If you haven't heard that episode, I'd recommend it. It's like, it's only like 19 minutes. It's very Mm. short, but we were driving home and I said, you know, I have no desire to ever do that because it's, it's just the preparation physically, but even when you're at the height of your physical prowess, you have to prepare so long to do it again. Mm. And I just I just don't have any desire to do it and that made me think of of John Krakauer's uh Into Thin Air mm-hmm. and the the trip up to Everest. I'm never going to do that. I'm not I'm never you could not convince me to go to to base camp and keep hiking up and back. It's just nothing. But I love reading stories about that. I love hearing them. I yeah. you know, it and it does kind of go on. I think to some of these things we're talking about this madness, this obsession to do something on the extreme. That's kind Mm -hmm. of an individual accomplishment that does inspire a sense of wonder in me. Even if I have no desire to live that in my own life, I'm just like, this isn't a part of me that I'm trying to repress. Yeah. I am not doing that. (laughs) No. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But I love reading about it. I I just, I do. I love it.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, um like I said Jeff Dyer is really good at that type mm-hmm. of thing and and one book of his that I think applies to both the obsession with art but maybe some of the other things is uh Zona. Did you ever read that book? It's his book where he just really goes all in talking about um uh Tarkovsky's movie Stalker.
0: I love it. I yeah. love I love and the so- movie, I love the book. Yeah,
1: I do too. It's just, (laughs) talk about obsession. It's like, even the subtitle of the book is a book about a film about a journey to a room. And I just love that. It's Maybe it goes back to that whole miniaturist thing, but it's like layers on layers on layers. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. Kate Zambrino. I mean, that's what I love is these people who are, they're following one central obsession, but then inevitably it brings in all these other things and, and goes down rabbit trails. And so I think it kind of builds on itself. And that book in particular, I mean, it's such an odd obsessive movie in the first place. And then to have him write an entire book where in some parts he's almost (laughs) going scene by scene and just analyzing it. So frame by frame, frame frame by frame even. Yeah, exactly. Oh,
0: I love it. I, I, and that movie again, I mean, if you've seen it, you'll realize everything that I've said so far about my affinities is that movie. Lore scientific exploration, loneliness and isolation. Mm. And then in my third category, it'll, it'll tie in there as well. That's a perfect example of, of something that I just, um, you know, that's my favorite Tarkovsky movie, maybe not by a long ways, but it's because of those affinities I have with it versus, you know, some of the other ones that I still love.
1: One that has some of the other ones that we talked about gray areas and open endings and that Mm -hmm. willingness to not, give you a why like some of the stuff that happens in that movie no idea <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> what it means why it happened, and i love 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 that i get so yeah. tired of you know in many movies like everything is over explained or like i said tied up with the bow and so to me it's so refreshing sometimes <laughs> to just be left feeling unsettled or just there's no answer
0: it, 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 this is a, a little bit of a tangent. This is not turning into a Tarkovsky or Stalker episode necessarily, because I did one of those with Scott and I for Criterion Cast. Mm. It's now been several years ago. It feels like yesterday, but, um, you know, probably five or six years ago. And I, I, I love, you know, similar to our conversations, that sitting down and being like, I don't know what I'm going to say about this movie, and yet stuff insights come and mm. so if anyone's interested i'll put that in the show notes that episode of, on stalker because again it's just it, it fits if you have an affinity with our affinities <laughs> maybe that'll be of interest yeah
1: <laughs> absolutely it's great so,
0: so the, the the other one that i'll bring up then that uh, again kind of matches with with stalker a little bit so maybe it's a tiny stretch walking you know, Mm. walking books. And Stalker, of course, they're walking through the zone and trying to to get to the room. It's right there in front of them, but we can't walk that way. We got to walk another way (laughs) to get there. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. But I I thought of Walser's books on walking. You know, we brought up uh, Sergio Chafek over the last little bit you know, you brought up Teju Cole. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy these books of someone taking a moment out of life and the rigmaroles of that and reflecting upon it while they go for a walk, whether it's in nature or in a city, uh, that, that calls to me. But I also realized I don't like a certain brand of walking book. There's that Harold Fry book, what's it called? The something journey of Harold Fry. Oh yeah. I mm-hmm. Um, I don't like those kinds of books where it's like the, the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry where it's more like the walking is to get them from plot point to plot point or care or transformational character to transformational character filled with insights and um, platitudes yeah. and stuff. I think there was a book by David Guderson um, kind of did a similar thing. I I don't, I don't like those types of walking books because then it's not about the walk. It's about a life journey and usually a a, a sentimental kind that I don't, I don't jive with that. It's not, it's something I have the, what's the opposite of an affinity, (laughs) you know, aversion, (laughs) aversion, you know, those might be strong words. I don't hate these and I don't think they're wrong. Yeah. Other people love them. Indifference maybe indifference probably with a, with a bit of, of aversion, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say, but certainly not something that I like. I don't like that kind of walking book. I like the ones where, you know, they're, they're, they're just a little bit different. And maybe right now I can't even fully explain the difference, but it's there. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I know. I know. I agree. That's another one. And I know I have mentioned this one before, but you have to check out uh, Rebecca Solnit's book, Wanderlust, a history of walking. Oh, it's amazing. It's it, I think it ties into exactly what you were just saying because it does examine it from like a historical perspective and societal perspective, and it dips into like even like city planning and things like that. But at its root, it's all about you know, I don't know, just more of like what you were saying, where she's wandering around and just having thoughts and. Oh, it's really good. I think you'd really like that book.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. When you again a book that you brought up in the past that I'm like ooh, mm-hmm. ooh, you know, a, a little bit extra magic. <laughs> exactly.
1: She describes it as the scenic route through a half abandoned landscape of ideas and experiences. So that sounds to me like it ties right <laughs> in.
0: You know, and I've never read any of her book, but I think that a lot of her book titles kind of um, sound intriguing. Uh, Have you read other ones of hers? Like recollections of my non-existence, uh, hope in the dark, uh, men explain things to me. I like that. A field guide to getting lost, the far away, nearby, a paradise built in hell. You know, I'm like, I need to get to know this this uh, writer's work because that all sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have. I've read a field guide to getting lost, and it is. Yeah, same thing. I think you'd really like it. And I think I've read at least one more of hers, which I'm not remembering which one, but she is very much in the vein of the types of authors that I think we both have talked about. Again, I'm comparing everybody to Kate Zambrino and I'm not saying it's a direct, (laughs) they're not the same writer or anywhere near, but I do like, it's that ability to look at a big topic, but break it into different chunks and and go off on little different paths, Mm -hmm. but then continue to bring it back, which I think that so many Mm -hmm. of these authors are able to do.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Do you have another category? I've kind of gone through mine. Sure. Um, Yeah, I I do. I mean, again, anybody who's listened to our episodes in the
1: past, I feel like I'm pretty transparent. (laughs) I don't think any of these will be surprising to people, but it's the idea of time. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's deep time, or sometimes that's just the passage of time. And so there's a few different books that I thought about that kind of tie into this. You know, of course... Robert McFarlane's Underland, which I've talked about, where he's taking more of a geological, well, not always, but often taking a geological where he's going down into the earth, literally traveling back through time. Something like that, I love. Um, or touching on something that I mentioned earlier in the in the um book about a year in the main woods, but that idea of something like Prairie Earth, William mm-hmm. Heath, where it's like one area that they'll focus on and then it'll go over the centuries and examine that um but in particular the one that i was thinking about today is a book i don't know that i've brought it up before it's called the world without us and it's by alan wiseman um and it's a book that i just happened to pick up one time at a used library sale and what it does is kind of what it talks about in the title there is just examining like the impacts of humans on the world but it takes this very interesting look of like what will happen when we're gone and i'm just a sucker for that kind of thing you know whether it's like the last of us where you can see you know, cities crumbling into nothing or the road, you know, where there's still humans around, but you're kind of seeing the impact of, you know, what happens when we're gone. So it it says, the world without us reveals how just days after humans disappear, floods in New York subways would start eroding the city's foundations, and how as the world's cities crumble, asphalt jungles would give way to real ones. It describes the distinct ways that organic and chemically treated farms would revert to wild, how billions more birds would flourish and how cockroaches in unheated cities would perish without us. Drawing on the expertise of engineers, atmospheric scientists, art, concert, art conservators, zoologists, oil refiners, marine biologists, astrophysicists, physicists, religious leaders, um, and it talks about you know going all the way from a pre-human world to what it would be like you know when everything's gone and what the planet might be like today if not for us. And so it's just, oh, I thought it was one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. Um, and again, it's not necessarily that it's about the post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic or anything like that, although that stuff does fascinate me. But it's more of just the idea of, of how much time there has been before humans, how much time there will be with, after humans, And just what that means, you know, so I don't know if that was a very eloquent way of saying it because it's a big topic and it's not just that, but like Lauren Isley, we talked about when he's finds that skull buried Mm -hmm. down in the rock or even something like Annie Prue's bark skins, where it's just that in that case, it's not millions of years. It's it's hundreds of years. But there's something to me that I know some people find it depressing or scary, but I don't know what it is. But for some reason, I almost find it comforting to think about like the fact that humans and and me in particular are kind of a blip and um, there's something so fascinating about just thinking about deep time or the passage of time and, and how things will be, you know, going forward. So it's a big area and it's a big topic. And like most affinities, I think I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is about it, but I just, I love anything that touches on those types of topics.
0: All right, Paul, So I have a few books that have popped into my mind as we've been going through this that I think, for me, encapsulate so much of what we're talking about. These are like capstone, you know, I don't know, scientific exploration, loneliness, um, a little bit of the uh, madness, uh, walking Journey, nature, humanity's place in all this, time, the passage of time. W.G. Zebald's The Rings of Saturn, mm. J.A. Baker's The Peregrine, mm. and Susanna Clark's Piranesi. Oh, those are great. Those are three of my favorite books, and I hadn't necessarily thought of them before we sat down to start talking, but I'm like, this is why they deal with each of these things in, in some way or another. And I love going into them. I love I love rereading passages of each of them. I've read *Piranesi* twice. I've read uh, *The Rings of Saturn* and *The Peregrine* in pieces uh, after the first time, but I'm I'm due a reread on both of those. And I'm just thinking, yeah, this is why this. You know, I didn't I didn't connect them all together, and probably haven't ever done that before. But this is in a way. Me, I guess you know, and 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 my my affinities. I have others, you know. We, we I'm sure, we both have many other things that that give us excitement or or mm-hmm. thrill. And it's not to say if a book doesn't have these, I won't like it. As I right. will, there are plenty right. of books that I that I love that don't have any of these. But this just kind of these are just kind of the ones where if I see it or hear it, even just a snippet about it, I'm I'm going to be drawn right to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the peregrine in particular, I meant to bring up earlier, because like you said, it has the isolation, it has nature, it has obsession, it has walking, and it has that
0: uh-huh.
1: a little bit of that madness of you'd never really get an idea of, of why he's doing it. But he is so focused and driven that it, it feels <laughs> like it's bordering on the unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But yet, I don't know. Yeah, so absolutely. Those are three great examples. Like you said, it's so funny. I'm sure anybody who listens to this has not been shocked by a single thing we've said today
0: because You're we like, talk yada, about these. Yada, yada,
1: <laughs> Well, we just talk about these topics indirectly or directly so often, but it's just I, what I love about them is how you can continue to peel back the layers of the onion. And mm-hmm. even when it's like something that you've talked about before, there are different wrinkles or ideas or branches off of it that I love. Like what, what you mentioned about uh, Benjamin Labatut, for example, like you know, that's something that sprung up only in recent years that completely ticks so many of these boxes, and so that's what's mm-hmm. so fun is it continues to expand and grow and branch off. And like we've talked about, that's just one of the amazing things about reading over the years is is all of these paths that just continue to branch out and form new affinities and new wrinkles on current affinities and all of that.
0: I have uh, started reading his fourth, Benjamin Labatut's forthcoming mm. book. Do do you know what it's called? Does, do you off the top of your head?
1: I don't remember off the top of my head.
0: The Maniac. <laughs> there you go. And it, oh, and the the opening the opening paragraph of it again. It's just got that direct directness. It's very sad. Um, it it's but it it just pulled me right in. Mm-hmm. So when it gets a little okay. closer to its release date, I'll I'll bring it back up and 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 uh, revisit that opening paragraph with folks. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, one thing I was thinking about that's funny though, is so much of what we're talking about with madness, obsession, isolation, exploring, you know, all these things. Don't don't touch on another affinity that I know we both have, which is mm. for kind of quiet lives. Mm. Um, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of like, you know, yeah. Barbara Pym's characters or something like that, where it's these, you know, older women who are living in a small town and just going about these very, from the outside, mundane lives. It's it's funny because I don't know that
0: that touches into
1: too much of this except for maybe like the loneliness.
0: Loneliness and isolation. Yeah, I that's true. I think can be part of it.
1: Yeah, but it's funny. Like you were saying, it doesn't, that's where it's interesting where there are some through points, yeah. but in some ways they're the exact opposite of a lot of the things we were talking about today.
0: Well, let's let's think about this for a second. I, I, Barbara Pym, you know, um, let's see, Anita Bruckner. Mm-hmm. The, these books about about all this i i think that they are different but i do think there are connections that the, the loneliness the mm-hmm. the um uh, the isolation that some of these characters feel or at least that they fear yeah. uh maybe it's not even that it it is a part of the book because it's it's a fate that they fear and because of that, even bringing in elements of time, maybe not the massive passages of time, you know, dealing with humanity and it's you know brief time on earth, but dealing with some of these individuals, brief times to achieve what they want. Mm-hmm. You know Anita Bruckner's in particular, so many of her books deal with a character who is starting to fear that while they have a, a maybe maybe a whole life in front of them, the time to make it the life they wanted has already passed. Yeah. And I, I do love that kind of stuff. So but but so so yeah, different, but but I can see I can still see connections. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: No, it's true. Yeah, it's the stakes, I guess again, all of this speaking to an outside perspective, the stakes might seem lower than in other cases, but there's still a lot of the same themes, like you said, of of people who are, you know even if they're turned inward, it's, it's these ideas of, of what's haunting them and what's obsessing them is, you know, making their way or, or not getting stuck or, you know, all that. yeah. So you're right. There are those interesting um, connections, <laughs> but it's funny. I don't know. It's just fun to talk about and think about. I would love to hear from different listeners. Cause I know that many people share a lot of our affinities, I think just from having conversations with people, Mm-hmm. But I know that there's probably some that are way different than ours. And I would love to hear that because it's always fascinating. I love that. Just what is it that, you know, obsesses you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and even some of the book you brought up, Kate Zambrino and um I, I'll bring up Amina Cain's a horse at night. The, mm-hmm. And they both bring up, I believe they both bring up Chantelle Ackerman, the, yes. the filmmaker, you know, her, her, her documentaries like news from home uh fits in so well with these. And so, yeah, we, we seem to be um, attracted to these themes and attracted to writers who are attracted to these themes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and explore writing about them or exploring the world through writing. Um, And we haven't, you know, we've been talking mostly about themes and such and not necessarily about styles of writing Mm -hmm. or types of, of prose or anything like that. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. I'd love to hear from folks, you know, what are some th- affinities you have? Cause even, even thinking back on some of our topics uh, when we were joined by Jackie to talk about hotel novels, some of this stuff, you know, it's a little bit on the edge. It's, it's a bit of a, a time away. We talked about idols last week, mm-hmm. you know, a time away from the, the, the real world a bit on the edge. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of fun to see how these things uh, tie together and go in their own ways. You know, it's maybe it, it's not a one-to-one Venn diagram where they're one on top of the other. They they overlap, but also have their unique unique spaces. And I kind of feel like I love each part of them.
1: I know. And it's one of the things that like our conversations, our conversations with our different friends, or like you said, reading books by, you know, Maggie Nelson or Kate Zambrino or whoever the case may be. It's one of my favorite things about all this. It's just, there's a seemingly never ending list of mm-hmm. connections that you just, I love it. Cause you never know. It might be one reference to, you know, a director or an author or a specific book or a topic. And all of a sudden you just find yourself, it could be for the next week or the next 10 years, you might just be off on a new, new tangent or have discovered a new affinity. I absolutely love that.
0: Oh, all right. The reason that we kind of went into this and started talking about this way is I I think it's a healthy perspective on talking about books, you know, uh, to, to get away from this is a good book. This is a bad book. And I don't think we do that. um, And neither do most of the people that we talk to, but to a a way of, of understanding and, and being excited for each other that you like what you like, and I like what I like, and it Mm -hmm. can spark all this, without feeling the need to convince the other person to assimilate to your, you know, affinities or anything like that. And, but to enjoy these conversations, even with people who have different affinities, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I definitely like a lot of the same things. Um, But I feel like some of our listeners probably aren't that connected, but still hopefully enjoy the conversation and uh, certainly engage with us on on a variety of topics. And I really do appreciate that. There's a TikToker who does movie reviews and, you know, he kind of usually ends it with, you know, with the movies, you know, love what you love. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. And, um, I don't want you to tell me I'm wrong. Let's talk about some of the things we love and some of the things we don't love, but you should always feel free to love what you love. And I don't know, it just, uh, you know, I guess part of my my sense when someone recommends a book to me that they just love and I find it kind of meh mm-hmm. is to not look at them as like oh you just don't get it or that book isn't impressive enough for me. Right. It just the magic that you felt in it didn't didn't I didn't feel, but you did, and that's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I love that too. I mean, I I agree with you completely. To me, it's more of the idea of the the passion and the contagious excitement when you were just saying that, it reminded me, I work with a woman who's 23. She just recently graduated from college and we talk books because she loves to go to the bookstore, which makes me so happy, you know, <laughs> in the first place. But the books she loves are rom-coms or meet-cutes or mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I do not care about that at all, but we will have just wonderful conversations about, It's it's not about the specifics of the books or trying to convince each other you know, to try this type of book, it's just that shared love of reading, which is so much fun. And so, when you were saying that, it just reminded me because I, I would not like neither one of us are recommending these books to one another. It's just, what have you been reading? And then she'll just her excitement and passion. And she went to the bookstore the other day and picked up like four of these books, and she just can't wait to read them. And to me, it it doesn't matter that that particular book does not interest me. It's it's that shared love and shared passion and excitement that's so much fun.
0: <laughs> well, you bring to mind is is. As you're saying that, you know, my wife and I don't necessarily have the same tastes or affinities in in books and stories. And maybe that could be unsettling. Like, oh, when we were dating, we thought we had so much in common. Turns out that we weren't meant to be. And it's like, no, we (laughs) still love sharing and talking about things that we love to share and talk about. And we love to, to hear from the other person. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to love the same book she does and she doesn't have to love the same book I do. In fact, we can even hate, you know, that's, that did nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it did for you. But again, the, the, the issues come when there's more to that judgment than it just didn't, it, I'm, I'm, I have different affinities than that book to a, th- a sense of threat that you didn't love something that I love. Mm. or or a sense of disdain from you if uh, if if you didn't love it, then you probably also don't respect me and my my opinion on taste. you're trying to tell me i'm wrong mm. um that's where that's where that mooks and gripes you know thing <laughs> that that true. chat g p t uh comes to play and is problematic where where it can be so much more fun to to passionately discuss these things from a bit of a different framework. And I think Affinities is a good, a good way to go about it. <laughs> I do too.
1: Just before we go, going back to Brian Dillon's book, which was kind of our, our general framework for this whole thing, there was a line from the New York Times review of his book that I thought was wonderful. And I actually felt like it could maybe be a little bit of like a general theme of what we try to do. And it says, it's as if with these shorter pieces, Dylan were directing our gaze to particular constellations in the night sky, alerting us with an enthusiast delight to treasures easily overlooked. Hmm. And I just I loved that. It's it's the yeah. idea of treasures easily overlooked. Um to me it was just such a perfect encapsulation of what so many of the publishers we love, but just all these conversations we have with each other. Um you know, all of us is is just exactly all about that. And I, I really liked
0: that. Oh awesome. Well all right, Paul, thanks for your, your time today. D- anything else that you're like, wait, no, I'm not done. I need to share yeah. I need to say
1: this. <laughs> I'm sure we could go on for days on this topic and maybe we'll revisit it. I'm sure we will either directly or indirectly many times, but no. But yeah. For now. Our, our,
0: our next episode, and I can't remember what the topic is. It's going to be about one of these affinities. <laughs> exactly. It's pretty
1: much guaranteed.
0: <laughs> so, well, thanks everybody. Uh, and we'll be back in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, I guess we'll just end this. Uh, you know, love what you love, <laughs> and share with us. T- tell us, tell us what your thoughts were, as, as where your minds went, as as you thought about this topic.
1: Yes, please, absolutely. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripe's podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripe's and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com dot com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at mooks, and Paul at biblio Paul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time!